Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. Today, you are going to listen to a conversation between myself and Dr. Katie Gambler-Ross, and specifically, we are going to be talking about somatics, which to break it down very, very simply, Katie is going to break it down more deeply in this episode, but essentially, we're going to be talking about the mind-body connection and how to develop a stronger connection with the physical sensations of your body. And if you have listened to last week's episode, which was on the risks of macro tracking, one of the big risks that we see is that in tracking macros or any type of other dieting approaches, we often lose connection with our internal sensations. We don't necessarily connect as well as we would like to, or we're not able to sense our body sensations around like fullness and hunger and all of these really, really important pieces of internal wisdom that we need in order to become friends with our body and trust ourselves to stop dieting. So if you listened to last week's episode on the risks of macro tracking and you started to identify some things that you'd like to maybe change in your relationship to food or approach to eating, this episode is going to give you a really great insight into start how to start fostering a more trusting relationship with your body signals and how to, quote unquote, start listening to your body. Because we often hear like, hey, just listen to your body, but we don't actually know how to do that because we've spent a really long time telling our body to shut up or simply not paying attention to those internal sensations. So this episode is going to be really insightful for you. It's going to give you some practical things that you can start doing on your own that are going to be especially helpful if you are looking to break away from some type of dieting behaviors or if you're just someone that wants to continue to foster that mind-body connection, you're going to love this episode. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and be quiet and let you listen to this episode with Dr. Katie Gambler-Ross. I am very excited. I'm always very excited when I have people on the podcast and specifically, I'm really excited to chat with Katie, who you're going to hear from in a second. Because you may remember Holly, who is one of my co-hosts on the Be Well Cartel podcast. She's been on, I think she was on episode like 34 of the Bite Size Nutrition podcast. And I found Katie through Holly. So I already was excited to talk to her. And she's going to talk to us today about a topic that is so important for any of us looking to get to know ourselves and our bodies better. And I'm going to let Katie introduce herself and tell you a little bit about what that is, because it's perhaps a word you've never heard of before. Hey, thank you for having me. And yeah, also also a huge fan of, of Holly. Her behavior change knowledge is just insane. Who am I and what do I do? I, I always answer this question, like maybe a little bit um, left of field. So I like to paint the picture of like who I am right now in this moment or where I am or how I am. So I am currently, I'm in South Africa. I'm in a place called Plettenberg Bay. I'm just sitting here. I'm looking, I, I told Gillian earlier, I'm sorry if my eyes leaving the screen, I'm looking, um, I have a view of the ocean uh, looking out. So I'm, I'm feeling very like settled and I'm feeling like I have a lot of space and capacity right now. Um, something that is really important to me is actually the ocean that I grew up. My sport was sailing. I grew up in, very deeply in relationship with it. And I think that like nature is just a huge part of the human experience. It's a huge outlet and tool for us to like get perspective. Um, so that's something that's really, really important to me. And also the, the fact that I'm in a different country right now is, is another really important thing to me. 
and and shapes who I am. I, I've grown up, I suppose, a little bit of a, a third culture kid, like having moved around a lot. So I feel very at home in sort of um, international communities or um, multicultural communities. And so I always like to kind of make those points when I to answer that question, because I think it really shapes my worldview and my practice as a coach. These, this idea of like appreciating how different we all are and appreciating our insignificance like with with nature because that question then shaped my um decision to pursue the career that I'm in right now I work as a neurosomatic coach and I work with the ETPHD coaching team who work like very uh, kind of holistically helping people heal their relationship with food and their body but my sort of route to how I got there was that this this curiosity about what makes us different that prompted me to study neuroscience and um, I studied psychology I was very much in the academic world and um, I did a I was really interested in the world of, of health generally um, and particularly with the brain with cognition and, and what with what happened when that went wrong and um, so then my PhD was in the field of dementia research but from the perspective of of lived experience so looking at you know what was it actually like to experience a life with dementia and and the thread that always ran through my research was this knowledge that like you cannot separate the mind and the body and dementia is this disorder of of the mind really of the brain but that it's also there's all it has a physiological basis and um, that it people with dementia they get spoken about as if they are just these minds like walking minds but like that degenerate but they also are bodies they have bodies they experience the world through bodies and um, so that thread always ran through my research and then once I I finished my PhD I so took some time away I, I did some traveling you know just a little bit of like self-exploration just that like a lot of people do um at that time in life and then it just kind of came to this place of understanding that that's the field that I want to work with, with people, helping people to like foster that, that mind body connection. And that is like what in, in very simple terms, and, and I can explain a little bit more breaking down like what neurosomatics actually is, but that's kind of how I arrived at working with people in that. And that's kind of what I'm really most interested in is helping people, anyone who feels that sort of disconnect from mind and body, it's helping them reconnect that. I was so riveted as you were talking, because I think it's fascinating <laughs> what you say about dementia and about how we view a lot of these diseases as we we think about it as like this person's mind is going. But I honestly mm -hmm. have never thought about like, well, what about like, what are they feeling in their body? Are they, mm -hmm. and I don't know a ton about dementia. I'm very lucky to not have experienced that like within my family, but like, do they, I, I imagine they probably struggle with things like balance and like depth perception yeah. and things like that, which is so fascinating. But also it's been really mm -hmm. interesting to me personally, as I've, I've been really curious about ADHD recently because I've mm -hmm. sort of been looking into the symptoms and I'm like, oh, I might be on the spectrum somewhere, which is as, as I'm learning more, I'm like a lot of women in their thirties are kind of realizing like, oh my gosh. And one of the yeah. things with ADHD that I found is like struggle with clumsiness or like a bit of disconnection with like proprioception and where your body is in space. And that's something that I mm -hmm. always like, I was constantly bumping into things and running into stuff. And it's fascinating because now as I feel like I'm in an, in a space where my mind body connection 
is stronger than ever, I'm less clumsy than I've ever been, which is, I'm kind mm -hmm. of putting all of this together now, but that is fascinating. I'd love to know, because obviously this is a podcast sort of directed towards like the field of nutrition mm. and well-being and, and mm. body image and all of that. What does neurosomatics have to do with our relationship with food and our bodies? To me, somatics is just, it's just a different tool. It's like another way in. So if you're, if you're trying to do any sort of work in like healing your relationship with food and the body, there is, you know, there's a lot of behavioral things that we can do. We can do a lot of work around nutrition education. We can implement mindful eating. We can do some like um, building self-compassion, all of those pillars, which I'm sure you work with your clients and, and at ETPHD, that's a lot of what we work with our clients with as well. But I think that often, you know, we talk about, and anyone has a poor relationship with food. It's like food is just the symptom. Like it's never the, the root, root cause. And a lot of the work that we do with clients is around like figuring out like how do we understand what the, the root issue is and and that can be something emotional and there's different ways you can address that somatics to me is like one of the ways that you address the root it's like um anybody who's experienced trauma in their life and I, I say that like small t trauma like we've all been been through it it's a it's just a different way to like come into relationship with that so what I mean by that is sometimes it can be hard because when you're healing your relationship with food in your body, sometimes a lot of the work actually has nothing to do with food. And it's like creating that sense of regulation as the foundation. So it's, it's this push pull when I'm working with someone around nutrition and around healing their relationship with food, there's like a couple of like, okay, here are some concrete nutritional strategies, but here's just some like exploration of the physical sensations in your body that has nothing to do with food. Um, and then you kind of work with both of those things side by side. So they, and, and as you do those practices, you get to realize how they seem different, they seem disconnected, but they're also um, related in some way. Like somatics, if I could just like explain a little bit about what it is. Um, and maybe it's like easy to break it down like, like linguistically. So when I talk about like my title is like a neurosomatic coach, I use the word neuro because that to me is like, I have a background in neuroscience. To me, um, neuroscience is not just the brain. Everybody's like fixated on the brain. And this again is that part of like mind body disconnect. And um, neuroscience is a study of the nervous system and your nervous system is operating throughout your entire body. It's connected to all the other systems in your body. So it's a really like integrated part of the, of the like just studying neuroscience alone is about mind body connection. And I think people kind of forget that. Somatics, the, so it comes from the Greek word soma, which refers to like, it kind of means wholeness. So somatics is about the living body in its wholeness. So that includes our physical body, like our actual physical body, but it's also like our sensations, our emotions, the stories that we tell ourselves, who we show up in relationship with other people, the actions that we do in everyday life, the actions that we don't do in everyday life. Like that is what somatics tries to capture. It is this umbrella term. And um, it's not like one niche. It's like saying psychology, you know, psychology is this massive field. Somatics is also a massive field. And within somatics, you have, um, you have a lot of um, therapeutic practices. You have um, somatic experiencing, like a lot of dealing with 
asthma. You have all these body-based practices like breath work and yoga and, you know, mindfulness comes in under somatics. It's just about having this different experience with your body because Western medicine, like it studies the body objectively from the outside in, whereas somatics is about experiencing a body from the inside out. Uh, it's about your subjective experience of, of your body and of the world. And so it's just a different way of thinking about the body. And then obviously coaching, you know yourself, coaching is supporting someone through this like process of change. What I love about like the field of coaching specifically is I think that like it really tries to push people beyond insight. Like it's about taking action and actually achieving that transformation. So I kind of bringing all those three things together, I like, I love, I have, I almost have like one foot in this like academic world and the evidence base and like the recent neuroscience literature. And then I have one foot in like, for me, the somatic world, it's this beautiful combination of that, of evidence base, but also of something that's a little bit more mystical, magical, like don't quite have the words to describe it, but there's just some sort of feeling there. It's, it's helping people connect to that. Um, and using that as the foundation to help people achieve change. Yeah, I I love that. And I feel like it's so powerful for me specifically to hear this because mm -hmm. I have been in sort of a, an exploration of what that connection mm -hmm. with my body feels like since I basically decided I tracked macros very, very strictly for about four years, um, mm -hmm. lost my period, like, you know, lost my period, hair was falling out, no sex drive, all of that. And then the experience of sort of regaining my body and my like vibrance and, and my relationship with food back mm. was a really deep dive into like, well, how do I actually feel? And can I observe my like thoughts and my sensations and, and understand my body? And so as you're, as you're saying that, I think that there is, there is a really big portion of like understanding ourselves that sometimes we like to skip over. Mm -hmm. Specifically, I think when it comes to nutrition and fitness, we are unfortunately often taught this narrative that like we're just supposed to do the thing and not listen to our bodies when we do the thing. And there's a lot of fear. For example, I was speaking to a client recently, and this is this is a, um, something that I've, I've heard more than once from clients where they say, you know, I've realized that I spent so much of my time like fearing hunger and when we start to work on the fact that like hunger is just a physical sensation, it's like an indication that your body is telling you something. It like takes that like fear away from it. But the crazy thing is that we're feeling this physical sensation of hunger. And then we're feeling another physical sensation, which is fear of that hunger. And it just like serves to say, well, I don't want to be connected to my body because there's all of these sensations. I don't understand them. I don't like them. They're super uncomfortable. And so here I think, one of the, like going back to hunger and fullness, which I think is like the basics, but also not necessarily that simple to understand when mm -hmm. people come to you. And I, I assume you work with many people that are totally disconnected from their hunger and fullness signals. What's a way that like we can apply somatics or an understanding of somatics to someone that perhaps right now is I know when I'm starving, but I can't tell when I'm like a little bit hungry. 
No, that's that's a really good question. And actually linking back to what you said earlier, like this is a really difficult thing for people um, who are somewhere on the spectrum, for people who have um, ASD or ADHD. They really struggle to connect to those, like it's the interoception, it's the awareness of the internal sensations. So, and this is where like, it's a combination of approaches. So we can implement some just like behavioral things. You know, it's like, okay, like, eating regularly, you know, making sure you're getting, you're, you're hitting the basics, right? One of the ways that we can start to build this awareness, though, of the internal sensations is something that I like to do with clients who really don't know hunger and fullness is, um, like, do it with water. So do it with, like, liquid. So, like, drink lots and lots of liquid, and you know when you're like, oh, I've had enough water. But you also, you know, like, a feeling of thirst can be a lot easier for people to pinpoint so it's just sometimes it's like bringing awareness to cues that are nothing to do with the food and so thirst is one of them the other way in is to bring like so if we talk about like a hunger fullness scale you know being different places on the scale depending on where someone is at with their relationship with food I'll add that as a disclaimer like just it's it's about welcoming in this mindset of like curiosity I mean like I wonder like how do I where would I put this on a scale of like one to ten or if you can't struggle with labeling one to ten maybe like you know not so hungry very hungry somewhere in the middle there like get curious about what it feels like what time of day are you at those different points on the scale like to know you have to have experienced being at every point in the scale to then have an understanding of where you sit on the scale. And then another thing, again, taking it away from the hungerfulness is let's get curious about other ways of being in your body that actually have nothing to do with the internal awareness. So um, how can you connect to your external senses? How can you connect to your, bring awareness to your sense of sound, your sense of smell, your sense of taste, your vision? your touch like that is another way of being in the body that is that is a different way of connecting to the body or proprioception how can you connect to how does it feel to feel your body in movement it's just a different way in of connecting to the body the other one is um it's called like some people call it co-regulation or intercorporeality which is this notion that like our bodies are also like in relationship with other bodies um, and the importance, like the impact that that can have on you, like a lot of people notice, oh, oh it's very calming. You do these like um, talk about like mirroring movements and how that can be something soothing. So like that's another way into your body is knowing how your body is in relationship with other bodies. So it's, it's very personalized on the person. But um, often like my go to strategy is like, OK, let's step away from noticing hungerfulness and like find other ways of being in the body. And then when we go back to the hunger fullness cues, after building those other skills, it's it's something that people can connect to a little bit better. Yeah, I, I love that. I was, I was thinking about because I, so my group coaching program is about helping women stop tracking macros and, and become more mindful mm -hmm. eaters. And one of the exercises in there is the water exercise, which is pulled from intuitive mm -hmm. eating. And it's such a powerful exercise, right? And it can mm -hmm. also be like the the next step to that is, hey, we understand what fullness feels like. And then we can differentiate like, 
okay, when you're full of water, like that's not satisfaction. And so that can bring in like this whole other level of understanding. Like I think, especially when it comes to macro tracking, we're often very used to like filling ourselves very full of like low calorie food, Mm -hmm. which is extremely different than a feeling of being comfortably full with food that is like nourishing and filling and and mentally satisfying. So I love that you bring it Mm -hmm. in there. It is really powerful. And and I want people to, to take note of this is that identifying with your senses is something that we are often moving too quickly to do. One of the exercises that I will often do in a session with a client is the, the, from acceptance and commitment therapy, the five, four, three, two, one, you know, five things you can hear, four things you can see, um, you know, three things you can smell. Um, I'm getting the order Mm -hmm. totally wrong, but I, I think that bringing that in for anyone listening, who's like, I feel a little bit confused by hunger and fullness. Like I'm, I'm on autopilot a lot of my day. Like I think bringing in what you said about different senses, like, can I look around and actually identify things in my eyesight? Mm -hmm. Like, can I pause and listen for a minute and see what I can hear? Like that can be so, so, so powerful. And it was something that for me, I used to do daily where I would pause and I would look around. I'd be out with my dog taking a walk and just look around and be like, can I identify different things that are in my immediate surroundings? And I think that that was in, in a strange way, like a really big game changer as far as overall mindfulness, which I think it sounds like mindfulness and somatics are very, very closely tied together. Mm -hmm. Hugely. Yeah. I I think like one of the, one of the sort of things that differentiates them is that a meditation practice or like the world of mindfulness, it's more around, it's very focused on, it's still thought focused. It's still Mm. about observing your thoughts, not letting your thoughts control you. Whereas somatics is is a little bit more bottom up. It's a little bit more body up. It's kind of just like, okay, cool. Like the thoughts are going to do their thing, but like, what are the physical sensations in your body? So it's, it's just a a slightly different, different approach where meditation is more top down. I would say somatics is a little bit more body up. It's starting with the body. Yeah. I'd be curious to know also, because I think Mm -hmm. for some people that can be kind of scary because Mm -hmm. in the past, you know, and I'm thinking specifically of, you know, like individuals that I work with that have been tracking their food for a very long time. It's sort of like, sometimes we start tracking our food and, and, and this fear of body sensations, like fear of being too full or fear of being hungry Mm -hmm. or, you know, fear of, of, being uncomfortable in some way. And I think we both know like discomfort tolerance is an incredibly powerful skill to build, mm-hmm. to, like just be a human. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> um, I'd love to hear you talk, like touch a little bit on that and like how we can stop being so afraid of body signals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that you bring this up because um, one of my real bugbears of seeing the way somatics is communicated on social media right now is that everyone's like this is try this tool for anxiety and it's I don't know it'll give you like a practical thing to do and as much as I love seeing an increased discussion around somatics on social media I don't I think that like the it sort of misses the point of somatics which is that it's very person-centered it's very individualized It's very resilience-based approach. So when I say that, I mean, it's about meeting you where you're at right now in your body. And that's why I think one-to-one coaching can be so important in this space because everybody's at a different place. Everybody has a different level of comfort. 
with their own body, with their own internal physical sensations. Like some clients, we are just dipping in so, so gently. It's really just about like finding places in the body that feel safe and good. I think we have this drive as humans to be like, okay, let's go in, let's go. I'll do the work. Like here's the the big emotions and they can go like all in, like, like let's feel the hard things. And what somatics is about is actually being like, no, 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 no. We don't do that until we're resourced to do it. So it's about like finding places of safety in the body. So, you know, if somebody is really, if there's a lot of fear, it's like, well, maybe a safe way of you being in your body is sitting here with your eyes open and just like um, having some awareness in your hands, like noticing what is the temperature that you're feeling in your hands? What is the, um, maybe you can really get familiar about the texture of your hands. Maybe you notice that there's a bit of like heaviness in them and that's it. And we'll just, we call it like pendulation. So it's about like slowly getting curious, like coming around the edges of those, like, okay, we see that fear. We see those difficult sensations. And then we go back to the safe places. And it's like rewiring a little bit. It's sending those signals that like, these are, it's okay to be in your body. These are safe places to be in the body. And we slowly build your capacity, build your tolerance to be in the body. And that's, that happens at a different pace for everyone. I love that you mentioned that because one of the the topics that I talk about all the time and that anybody that's listening to this podcast or any of my clients that are listening are probably going to like giggle to themselves because I talk about practice all the time and just like the concept mm -hmm. of practice and the concept mm -hmm. of like, hey, let's normalize that like these things are going to take a million, like a million little steps forward. And sometimes when you try it, it's going to feel shitty. And sometimes when you try mm -hmm. it, it's going to feel good. And then the next time it'll feel shitty again and you might not necessarily know why. Um, and, yeah. and it can be really challenging. So I, and I'm, I'm starting to wonder because as I now I'm, I also mentor coaches, I mentor macro coaches and, and sort mm -hmm. of help them become more client centered and develop ways mm -hmm. of coaching their clients away from macros or like on a more habit-based perspective. And one of the things that I'm noticing as I mentor more coaches is almost like, I would say a, a vast, vast, vast majority of the coaches of the clients that any nutrition coach coaches are perfectionists. Mm -hmm. And I think, mm -hmm. and so I'm wondering, I'm like, is everyone just a perfectionist or is it just like the people that are perfectionists are like, I want to be perfect at this. I'm going to get a coach for it. And so here I think is where perfectionists probably struggle with this the most because they want to get you know, somatics, right. They want to get nutrition, right. They want to get like fixing their relationship with food, right. From the very beginning. And so how do you approach this with someone that comes in? Like, how do you do this very like person centered, slow, like this is going to take time approach with someone that is like, but I want to get this perfect from the beginning. And if it's not perfect, then what am I even doing here? No, it's a great question. Um, <clears throat> and there's a couple of different ways. The first way is like, give the perfectionist something, like give them yeah. something to get perfect, you know, like we'll, we'll meet that need in you. And then we'll also be like, but what, um, like, it's about getting curious about like, what is the perfectionist in you afraid of? Like, what is it clinging onto? What is the, um, or how is that perfectionism? Like, how do you feel when you're in your body in that perfectionism? Maybe when you're like, come on, like, tell me, how can I, you know, there's this tension, you notice a lot, there's this like, go, there's this need um, you notice the shoulders coming up the person like leaning forwards so if it's like what does it feel like to just settle back a little bit like 
ease that tension. Um, it's like a, a way that you can slowly work with a person who has that perfectionism. Also, I love the two things that I love to work with perfectionists, which like I talk about them as if I can't relate. I, I am a hardcore perfectionist, recovering perfectionist. My PhD taught academics taught me like, you know, cognition, perfectionism, that is like the pinnacle of who you are. So you a lot of unlearning. Can you without being a perfectionist? I had to let, a, let go of a lot of it to just like, get the damn thing done yeah. because like it does hold you back and then and that actually taught me a lot of like just to yeah it has to be done but two things that I, I really like to work with perfectionists are like the power of the small and and um, the power of imperfect action so like it'll I mean there's, if any perfectionists are listening this will kill them but like say you're going for a 5k run it's like I want you to stop at 4.85 and that's it and your run is finished and and that'll like the first time as you say you first time you do the practice it's like okay what was that like for you and again this is like encouraging this curious mindset of get curious about like how did that feel to stop at 4.8 before you know like even though you can we know you can do the 5k that's not the question but the it's about like getting curious about like how does that make you feel and if the person's like oh my god like I really like was very unpleasant my thoughts were going crazy there was like a lot of punishment there it's just kind of noticing that getting familiar with that um, and then the other thing is the power of the small so it is challenging people to do like these tiny tiny actions because a lot of perfectionists they are also in this stuck state so they're not doing anything you know it's this all or nothing mindset so it's about being like, okay, cool. Like, I want you to only do this, um, this somatic practice for one to three minutes. Because people are like five to 10 minutes, that's easy. It's like, no, I'm, we're going to go even less, like one to three minutes. Or sometimes like when I'm trying to get people to do things that are like upregulating, that energize them a little bit, it's like, make it fun. Like I've just put on, when you get up in the morning, put on a song, dance to it. Uh, start to notice like the physical sensations make it make it fun that's another thing that perfectionists like we're so attached to this idea of like this heart having to do the hard work like introducing a bit of fun a bit of joy a bit of pleasure into their life that's another another approach and um, but mainly it's this thing of like compassion and curiosity like that will always trump judgment and you've directed towards the self like self-compassion self-curiosity it's always going to trump self-judgment. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I, I'm, I was actually thinking of an exercise that I often do with clients around all or nothing thinking where I'll have them kind of map out like what is perfect in this situation? Okay, and what is like, what's the opposite of that? Okay, now let's mm -hmm. actually think about different things along that scale. Like what's kind of close to perfect? Mm -hmm. What's like in the middle? Mm -hmm. What's like pretty far away from perfect and actually map that out. And it's so interesting because sometimes in, like I'll work with individuals that they're like, I've never even thought about what like a 7.5 out of 10 would look like. It's always just been like, mm -hmm. I do 10 out of 10 or I literally don't do anything. And, yeah. and it's so mm -hmm. fascinating. I love what you said there about like setting that intention of, Hey, I'm going to do almost the whole thing. And then I'm going to stop myself. And then sitting with that discomfort, which I think brings us back to the to the question around mm. discomfort tolerance, which is like how, and, and I think this is probably 
I probably should do an entire podcast episode on discomfort tolerance, mm. but I, I mm. love, because I'm imagine, I imagine that this is something that comes up quite a lot in somatics and in the work that you do, but how would you describe like building that discomfort tolerance and maybe some examples of it? Yeah. Um, I think, I think this is a really good opportunity to do a practice. Yeah, let's do uh, it. If that's okay. But I think I, I'm going to, I suppose that, it, it's it's closely related to discomfort tolerance but I think like the thing that I am curious about is like resistance in mm. people you know because I think like that is that's that's the manifestation of this discomfort tolerance or in lack of tolerance for discomfort yeah yeah is um is resistance okay and we see that coming up in people we see it coming up in clients we see it coming up in people all the time it's this and we can explain resistance like rationally you know that you've got this like rational resistance you've got um people emotional resistance you've got conscious resistance you've got people who are unconsciously resisting things um and cognitive approaches that try to tackle resistance they'll ask why you know they'll explore the why let's get curious about the why behind why you're resisting which is a valid approach and we i still do that with clients but somatic approaches ask like well how is this resistance showing up in the body Okay, and how can we meet that need at a body level? And maybe we can, if we're working in this realm of physical sensation, and we don't really need to understand the why. It just sort of like doesn't become important anymore, anymore, or it just kind of it comes to you, you know. So, so how can we meet that need? It's about like we notice, we pause, we allow. But if we do it, we'll just do a little practice now about like embodying resistance okay and what it feels like to um feel resistance in the body and what it how we can meet that need so just taking is it okay if i guide you through of course and if anyone's listening along they can they can take us off double speed now <laughs> and they can they can listen they can do this practice along with us so just to get into your body julian if you if i just invite you to Take your eyes away from the screen. Okay, just scan the eyes around the room a little bit, just feeling that sense of space. Okay, this is extending really important practice to send that signal back to your nervous system that you're safe here, you're in a space, that you're in a container. You can look right up, you can maybe see the ceiling, you can see the floor. And then you might just get familiar with feeling a little grounded in your body so for a lot of people that's feeling their feet on the ground okay that's just being aware of your hips on the chair a little bit okay we're just settling in grounding and then i want you to take your right fist and i want you to like ball it up okay and really clench that right fist and i want you to imagine that that fist represents something that you are holding on to in your life right now, or perhaps something that you are kind of like resisting, like something that you know you're avoiding, like something that you think about, like, oh, I should do that thing, you know, that gives you that feeling. And just give me a little nod once you feel like you've got something, yeah. Okay, so just thinking about whatever that thing is in your mind and then really clenching the fist, okay? And just noticing how does that feel? 
Okay, what are the sensations that you're noticing here? So to give you some prompts, some examples, you might feel like well, that hand has started to get quite tired or you might notice that um, it's quite hot, getting clammy. And then I want you to take your left hand, okay? And while you're clenching this right hand closed, just bring some awareness into your left hand here. Give it a little wiggle, have a look at it, okay? I want you to take your left hand and I want you to try to pry open your right hand, okay? But, but resisting it. So you're keeping the right hand clenched and then you're trying to like pry open the right hand. Bless you. <laughs> and then just notice, like, how does that feel? What are you noticing in the body? Some people might feel like, oh, I'm getting a little hotter. Uh, you might notice that, like, your breath is getting a little shallow, your heart rate's increasing, the hand's getting tired, like this sense of, like, the hands are working against each other. Yeah. Just noticing those physical sensations, and then you can just let that go. Okay, you can give the hands a little bit of a wiggle. Okay, give them a little breather. Okay, just pausing for how that felt for you. And then this time again, taking that right fist, clenching it again, okay, back into representing that holding, that resistance. This time I want you to take your left hand and I want you to place it over the right hand. Okay, and I want you to support it in its resistance. So squeeze it, okay. And again, just noticing how does that feel? Maybe you might, you might notice that the right hand naturally softens a little bit. Like there's a part of like, oh, it feels good. You might notice the breath changes, temperature changes. But how, just really focusing on how does it feel to support your right hand in that resistance? And then you can just, again, let that go. Give the fingers a little wiggle. Take another second here, just eyes around the room. And then when you're ready, Jillian, it's always, always just an invitation, but um, if you would like to, you could share, how was that for you? What did you notice the difference between the two approaches? Yeah, so that was interesting. And I think any anybody that did that, probably had like a slightly different experience, but my experience mm -hmm. was I noticed that I was holding my breath mm -hmm. and, and it was like, sort of like a tingly feeling in my, in my right hand. And it was like, I really just wanted it to be over with. And mm -hmm. then when I wrapped my other hand around it, it was like, oh, now my right hand can relax a little bit. Yeah. And mm -hmm. can can I share kind of what my interpretation like of that was? So here I was thinking, mm -hmm. okay, so I think this is sort of showing the importance of support in releasing mm -hmm. resistance and how we can give that support to ourselves, mm -hmm. um, which I think is so interesting. I don't know if that's, if that's kind of where yeah. that was going or yeah, if there is so, really I no mean, intention. There's, yeah, no, that's a great question. So there's there's always an intention behind a practice. Um, so yes, it was just like a demonstration, but I think it was also more than a demonstration of how to support change. It was an embodiment of mm. how we do that because change happens in the body, okay? So 
when we're doing these practices, this is actually that, um, like what you said about earlier, like doing the practices, this is the practice of like physically laying down those new neural pathways. Like this is what it feels like to feel resistance. And this is what it feels like to support that resistance. So it's as much as it's like a, a demonstration to highlight something, it is also a, a practice towards that thing. It is a practice towards um, meeting that resistance, meeting the need at the body level. So yes, we can jump up to the cognitive level of interpretation, but we can also just stay in that, that level of the sensations and, and kind of see how that resonates, see how, what the knock-on effect of doing a practice like that is. I love that. Well, Katie, that was, that was really cool. I think um, it was probably really helpful for anyone doing it. Like they may have even felt resistance to doing it to like, mm -hmm. I don't want to sit mm -hmm. here and be in my body. I don't want to follow this practice. And, and it's fascinating, yeah. like just to share a little bit about me, I tend to find quite a strong resistance to a, a formal meditation practice. And the reason yeah. why I say this is because I believe that I have a strong mindfulness practice without sitting down to meditate for X amount of days or X amount of mm -hmm. minutes every day. And I want to share that because I think sometimes we feel like a block to being able to practice mindfulness is like, well, I don't have time to do that or I don't want to. And probably like those are just forms of resistance. But I think that mm -hmm. the more that we can open it up to like, you can practice mindfulness. And like you said, like somatics in one to three minutes a day or one to three minutes of practice. And, mm -hmm. and the reason I bring that up is because I know both of us probably work with a lot of like very busy humans um, and, mm -hmm. and humans that might feel like, well, if I can't meditate or I can't sit down for X amount of time, or I don't do it quote unquote consistently, there's no way mm -hmm. that I can start being more mindful or connecting more with my body. Yeah. And, and I found in my experience, that's not true. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Yeah, I, I am the exact same. And it's funny because I, I remember like one of my clients we've been working together now for maybe like six months. And when I remember our first discovery call and she was like, I don't do meditation. It's not for me. I don't connect to it. I've tried it for years. It's not for me. Um, and now she's like, oh my God, I love somatics. Like it was her way in to connect to that just sense of like mindfulness or being present or being alive, just something that connects you to that. It's different for everyone. And I'm the same. I don't have a formal meditation practice. I have in the past, I've dipped in and out. But this to me um, is my way of sort of connecting to that like biological, what makes me human? This is what I know to be true. Like these physical sensations that I'm experiencing, like that is, I know that that is not influenced by external things. That is not influenced by like culture or any other sort of context. Whereas people who are stuck in this like cognitive approach like very like oh I'm very rational I don't like things to be emotional I like things to be black and white like they're just they're at a they're accessing a different intelligence you know they're they're really up in this like story state very much stuck in like the thoughts and the cognition like underneath that then you have this like level of like emotional awareness which I think a lot of people are like starting to get curious about but I see somatics as actually being a layer under that again where it's like because under your emotions and you and I've had this conversation already is like you have your physical sensations and like actually that's a huge level of intelligence that is available to us and a lot of people just particularly in our like current sort of western world 
we are just, are just very disconnected to. So it's just, it's just a different form of intelligence. Um, and mindfulness can kind of come in at any of those layer, layers and levels, meditation. Um, you can do these like somatic meditations, but if, it's some, if you're someone who really struggles with that, then I would say like, just start by being like, what are the physical sensations that I notice right now? You can't change what you're not aware of. And awareness is just like the foundation for any, any of this work, any of this somatic transformation work. Like you have to first develop your capacity to be aware. And people are like, yeah, but where's the action in that? Where's the action in that? And like, sometimes awareness is the action. You know, it's, it's, it's like even that practice that we did. Um, like, could if, if somebody's listening, it's like, why? Maybe you could just repeat that practice every day for a week. And just see what happens. Just see what happens. Like, don't have any other intention for how that will impact resistance in your life or like your capacity to tolerate discomfort. Just do that practice every day for a week. See what happens. I think that's where somatics works best. I love that. And I, one of, one thing that I want to mention, and then I have a, I have two specific questions for you before we wrap up yeah. because I want to make sure that we're not um, taking up too much of people's time, but. One thing that I've noticed about awareness is that I think it's very common for individuals to have like a general awareness of like, I am a perfectionist or I am disconnected from my body or I, you know, I do this. But I I think we need to learn a little bit more as like a collective uh, or human society of like what awareness actually is because a high level awareness of I am a perfectionist is not the same thing as being aware mm. of moments in which your perfectionism pops up in your life. And I just wanted to make a distinction between that because I think that that can often be a block for many people where they say, well, I, you know, I know, for example, you know, when I work with individuals in mindful eating, I know I'm a fast eater, but they're not necessarily aware of the moments in which they are eating quickly, Right. And so I wanted mm -hmm. to make that mm -hmm. distinction because as some, if you're someone listening and you're like, well, I'm aware of my patterns or what I do, I want to invite you to try to bring awareness into the instances in which those things occur, because I think that is where you can really start to activate that process of change. Absolutely. And, and like, and to me, I would say like, that's like the next step of awareness, especially when somebody's in a sort of, maybe they're in a restrict and overeat cycle and you know we talk about like you firstly you've got to we've got to stop the restricting and people panic because they're like oh but how does that how is that going to impact the the overeating and it's a little bit of trust that like it's a connected cycle mm -hmm. and if we can get it at this point like we do just have to have some time and trust and realize that it it will have a knock-on effect on the the overeating part of the cycle and that's the same with with awareness it's like okay if you can bring awareness to these in in the moment um moments <laughs> uh it's bringing awareness in like other circumstances and trusting that with time like that does evolve that the the awareness carries over and and what you're saying about that like oh i am a perfectionist or i am a fast eater like i think that's also there's like you can do some work there and unpicking that those sort of identities and those labels that we've given ourselves and and just um how we put ourselves in those boxes and we can kind of there's capacity to create a little bit more um flexibility and flow uh in how we identify completely I completely agree one of the one of the things that I'll often encourage my clients is 
in the process, like, can we be someone who is learning to eat more slowly rather than someone who is a fast eater? And it's, it's, I found that really, I found that really powerful because that is technically someone that is learning to eat slowly, maybe someone that is currently eating quite quickly, but it's Mm -hmm. a very different identity than someone who is a fast eater. And I think that simple Mm -hmm. sort of mindset shift around your identity can be really, really helpful in like cultivating that capacity and belief in your ability to change. If it's it's okay, I want to ask you, because I know like somatic, this this may be the first time that many people listening have heard the word somatics before. Mm. Is there any, like, are there any books or specific resources? Like if someone is interested Mm. in learning more, is there like anything that they can read or listen to that might help them understand somatics a little bit better? I actually want to go back to your previous point first, because something that really just popped into my mind that I want to share is um, that that reframe, how important that reframe is. I'm just thinking about like, you know, when I did my PhD or from, and, and I think this relates to like somatics as well, is we talk about the body so much from this like outside looking in. And it's when I was doing my PhD from the outside looking in, everybody thought, oh my God, you're a PhD. You're such an expert at this thing. Um, whereas um, my experience of being in it was I was like, whoa, like the more I know about this one niche topic, the more I realize there is so much I do not know about the world. And like, that was my experience from the inside is like doing the PhD, the practice of doing a PhD taught me how much I don't know. Yet from the outside, it's this like people look at me as like how much I know, you know? So that's that's kind of, I, th- I don't know, like a little bit of an analogy for that. Um, in terms of recommendations, again, disclaimer, like it's like asking for a recommendation for a book on psychology. Um, but I would get a little bit curious about like, what are the areas that you are really interested in? So if it's like you do it to, to do your own self-work, like I do like, um, what's her name? The holistic psychologist, I think is, or the holistic therapist. And um, she writes a few good, good books around like getting familiar with your own internal sensations. Um, a book that I love is Rest is Resistance um, by the NAP Ministry. That is a really like situates somatics as like a social justice um, a, an act of resistance. I, I really, really, that's my personal interest. I love where somatics sits in terms of like um, the wider culture and what, how we're using it in terms of social justice. So another great book is uh, My Grandmother's Hands. That's a book about sort of... Um, trauma and, and race and through how that's carried in the body through generations my body is not an apology is another great I mean that's a little bit more sort of in the realm of like body image but I think it's it's just about any resource that tell teaches you a little bit about how the history of how the mind and the body have been disconnected and how we can bring them back to to together again there's a really good new book out called disobedient bodies um, by an Irish author and she writes a little bit about um just you get get to understand the history of you know the how we had this I think therefore I am you know way back in the Descartes and how that has carried on through generations and how that impacts how we live now but I'll stop there because I think like it depends on the area that you're in Gabor Mate all of his stuff I think is also fantastic and it yeah there's a lot to do with somatics and trauma but those are a few good places to start. Amazing. I only have one more question left for you. 
if the individuals listening were only going to take one yeah. thing away from this conversation, mm -hmm. what would you like mm -hmm. that one thing to be? And it can be something actionable. I love to give actionable tips on this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to open that up. Like if there's one thing you're like, we know people are only going to retain like a little bit of what we say. If there was just one thing, yeah. perhaps one thing that they could do, what would it be? For me, it's that cognition is great. Your thoughts are great. Your rational, like thinking your way through doing the work. It's all great. But there's another form of intelligence that you have available to you that you can access. And that is your sensations, your feelings, and just get curious about it. Like start to, like if you could just learn to take on that form of intelligence as well, just see what it opens up to you. Start with the basic, basic questions. If there's something actionable, just ask yourself the questions of like, like, how am I feeling right now? And do I feel sort of aroused, excited, anxious, that kind of energy? Or do I feel a little bit more like tired, sort of flat or calm? That's one question. And then like, is this a pleasant or an unpleasant feeling? And that's it. Just start there. Just start to ask yourself those two questions. Like, do I feel a little bit aroused? Do I feel a little bit flat? Is it pleasant or is it unpleasant? That's the foundation of nervous system regulation is knowing how to answer those questions. I love that. Well, Katie, where can people find you if they want to follow you on social yeah. media and, and learn a little bit more about somatics or just kind of hear some of the tips mm -hmm. that you offer on social media? Where can people find you? Yeah, I think I just hang out on Instagram. That's my my go-to place. So I'm at KT underscore ETPHD coaching. And um, yeah, I, I share little tips and please feel free. I really, what I really love about um, this work is I love to like, I'll give people tips, I'll give people resources. And I love hearing back, like, I was that for you. You know, that's, that's how I, that's such an important part of somatics is that feedback. And um, so if anybody like tries the practice on this call, like, please, please message me and tell me what you noticed, how that was for you. And um, I think, yeah, I think that's a really important part. But yeah, just get me on Instagram and then you can find you can find any other place that I hang out from there. Amazing. Well, Katie, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. I learned a lot. Um, I, I want to, I want to get you back on here and talk about like social justice and somatics, because as you said <laughs> yeah. that, I was like, my brain was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. I have so many thoughts on this. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Like sometimes I feel like my two big areas right now are like social justice and somatics. And I also like this idea of like pleasure that I'm yeah. really curious about like pleasure and embodied pleasure and pleasure activism um, and I think they're very much related to um, relationship with, with food and body as well, but they're just, uh, yeah, they're whole areas on their own. Oh, amazing. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. I really, thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode with Katie. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording it. And I wanted to let you know that the waitlist is currently open for my Confident Eater group coaching program. If you are someone that wishes that you could trust yourself to eat without needing to weigh and measure your food, track your macros, or calculate calories and everything, the Confident Eater is your step-by-step -step guide to developing the skills that you need 
to trust yourself to nourish your body and enjoy what you eat without ever needing to pull out a food scale ever again. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I personally track macros for a very long time. And part of building confidence in myself to never have to track and eat in a way that nourishes my body, that feels good, and that is also extremely enjoyable, that took skill building and it took breaking a lot of the mental rules that I had around food. And all of that is packaged into this incredible Confident Eater program that has been so pivotal in helping women let go of macro tracking and really build that confidence in eating without needing to weigh and measure. So if you are interested in learning more, you can find a link in the show notes. They'll You'll go to a, a breakdown of the program, what's inside of it. And if you like, you can join the waitlist. If you do decide to join the Confident Eater from the waitlist, my thank you to you is $200 off of your enrollment. And any questions that you might have, you are welcome to reach out to me via Instagram. You can reach out to me via email, which was also in the show notes. And with that, thank you so much for listening and we will see you again next time.